Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Let's take a quick break. You know what's one of my favorite things to do post-dancing rehearsal? Not going to lie, it's putting on some sweatpants immediately and having a drink. You all know I love a glass of wine or two, but I also like to switch it up. So lately, Jason and I have been making a little cocktail at night using Rum Haven. Rum Haven believes Mother Nature did things right, so it's crafted using real coconut water and not using artificial preservatives or flavorings. It is so incredibly refreshing. I mentioned I like to add it to a cocktail, but it's also actually great over ice with a splash of club soda. It tastes like I'm on vacation, sitting on an island somewhere far, far away which is without a doubt a great feeling, especially during these crazy times. So make sure to follow at Rum Haven on Instagram because they post all types of these seasonal recipes. They do giveaways and tips. Plus, when you go to discover.rumhaven.com, you can find their latest blogs, quizzes, and any promotions they have going on. On one of their latest blog posts, they actually have some tips about planning your virtual watch party, which is pretty perfect since everyone's favorite reality show is back on Tuesdays. Be sure to have a little virtual drink with me, sip some rum haven, maybe even while you're listening to the pod. Let me know what you think. This is Amy Dallin from Collider Heroes, and you should be sure to check out the new Launchpad DM podcast, Back to the Future, the podcast. This show is a retrospective on the stories, characters, and crew responsible for one of the greatest trilogies of all time. That's a fact. Who doesn't love Back to the Future? Uh, You are still welcome to listen, but why? When this podcast hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to hear some serious stuff. The show is available now on LaunchpadDM.com. And if you have a podcast or want to create one, don't forget to check out this new free hosting platform with support from Podcast One, as heard with this promo. Tune into Back to the Future, the podcast, or sign up with your own podcast now at LaunchpadDM.com. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. There's an underdog story happening today in America. Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback, but in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at smallunites.org. Welcome back to Giant Size Heroes. This is number 20. How are you doing this week? Doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm recovering. I took, uh, took four days off for my birthday, and that actually tired me out more than working. I like I'm not good at time off and I I consciously didn't leave the house for three of the four days to see if I could do it, to see if I could like actively not work. Uh, It was my first 96 hours off since 2018. Uh, I hadn't taken four days off since uh, Christmas of last year. So I tested that and it was very hard. Uh, (laughs) But I got a lot of good. I caught up on Marvel's Mrs. Maisel. Uh, nice. Which is not pronounced Maisel unless she's Cree, which is how I pronounced it the first two weeks I'd watched it. And I realized that in hindsight when you and Dorian corrected me. Marvelous <laughs> Mrs. Maisel. Uh, and I, what else did I do? I am on season eight of The Office now. 
nice. Which is exciting. Will Ferrell's in it. That was surprising. Will Ferrell's uh, in the office? Yes. <laughs> see, I didn't know. We, everybody was like, it was a pop culture phenomenon. I was like, what are you talking about? Uh, see, it's shocking. Wait. Uh, and I read a lot of comics, but I didn't read any of this week's comics because that felt like work. I, like, intentionally was like, I'm going to be contrarian and read other comics. I'm going to take time off by reading my choice comics. Uh, so, yeah, it was great. I got I had a birthday. And you came, and it was great. It I, was so You got to meet fun. Spidey Cat. I did. Y'all, Koi's animals. They're so good. There's so many. And they're so good. And in my brain, I already knew them as friends, and I was just meeting them for the first time. So it was that thing you do with real people except with animals. Where yeah. I was like, hi, we're best friends. I and totally Spidey know Cat's you. like, um. New smell human? Hello? I'm chill. I mean, yeah, except for Spidey's like, I've met everyone on the planet because I am omnipresent. I'm Spidey Cat. <laughs> Bring it, yo. I'm the chillest cat on the planet. So speaking of omnipresent, let's talk about this first item on our list uh, which you have hilariously added a caption to <laughs> that I love. <laughs> so, Corey, you got any strong opinions on this weird random rumor breaking via, like, a casual line in a deadline Hollywood recap of the Saturn Awards uh, that implied that Robert Downey Jr. might show up in Black Widow or be seen in Black Widow playing Tony Stark? Awful idea. Really? Worst idea. Why did Logan work? Closure. Why does death matter? Because it's the end of knowing someone. Are you like the first guy who would have been excited for a surprise Hugh Jackman like in Deadpool 2? But they gave me the best by giving me the the staple face because then I got the hilariousness of the Wolverine love without sacrificing the importance of – death is final, guys. I'm sorry to ruin death for you. It's forever. You know it's a prequel. But we won't feel like his death mattered if we were suddenly like, oh, look, the next movie after Spider-Man, Downey's back. Like it was already – he's still dead. But it won't feel like it. Why? Because it's like it's a shameless time travel ploy. It's when when you lose a character, they should stay gone. I don't want us to be like, oh, every time they should be erased backwards from time. No, no, the opposite. We should feel the importance of their demise. Anything pre twenty eighteen that features Downey Jr. is just him like reprising a role, so his impact in Endgame doesn't feel as like the death doesn't feel as important. If we suddenly get like, oh, look, new scenes, like it won't feel. I think there's an element of truth to the fact that, like, a big cinematic departure has a lot of weight and finality to it. But if you ask me, like, we're doing a Black Widow movie set right after Civil War, should we avoid doing a scene with Iron Man because we've already seen his farewell? No. Like, you know, it's in the Marvel Universe in that chapter. Why wouldn't the other folks show up if you can somehow budget for and plan around that? I don't want the movie to be distracted by a bunch of side characters who are not Black Widow, but everybody else has solo movies with 17 backup people. She did most of her storytelling in Captain America Winter Soldier. (laughs) I feel like like the finality of death will be a little bit abated by having her pop up and be – I mean by having him pop up. I just – I like that Endgame was the end for – like it felt like the end. And now there is a counter rumor that says those scenes, if they exist and if this is even true, uh, might just be like outtakes from previous footage or, or, or like spare footage of him being like, go on the run, you know, because obviously they're not on the same side at the end of Civil War. So it's not like they're probably having detailed hangouts. Uh, will that Somehow be better, better or worse? Somehow like knowing it was already filmed before he died works for me. <laughs> it's See, silly like silly but I, but I, I own the fact that I like the idea that in 2018 – we had – or 2019. What year did it come out? Where am I? Who am I? <laughs> it was this year, 2019. I like the idea that in 2019, the snap was the last moment 
of Downey Jr. playing that character. And I love that it mirrored. He filmed it right across the street from when he said Iron Man Iron Man all the first the time. I love the energy that we've spent appreciating the poetry of the beginning, middle, and negated. end of the story. All of that stuff. Like, I, I can admit that, like, if they turned around, did his big farewell tour, and then were like, surprise, entire Robert Downey prequel, I'd be like, okay, that's kind of cheap. But I would also show up and watch that movie because why am I going to be mad about more Tony Stark? Oh, I'm not I'm not, not showing up. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> like, not seeing Black Widow, but I am taking a stand saying it's awful. I think I, I'll be there. Like they could almost like there's very little they could do to keep me from going. It but, is also weird where like they designed an entire movie as a post farewell farewell to Tony and he yeah. does not appear in it and it's called Spider Man. Uh it's so one I, of the reasons I'm okay with the Sony thing. It's just well, yeah. Uh but it, it is just an interesting like I I don't know. You're you make excellent points. It was a big formal farewell. I would understand if he turned it down on that basis. He got two farewells. He got yeah. Endgame, he got Spider Man. He's Tony Stark. He he's gonna do encore. Is the MCU about Iron Man or is it about a cinematic universe of Marvel characters? It's not the Iron Man cinematic universe. I get it. Like, but now he's dead. And I love Robert it Downey Jr. Is a prequel. He has earned the twenty-eight million dollars he makes per minute. It's fine. Like I love Downey. I love the character of Iron Man. I get the impact it's had. But if we negate that impact by having Black Widow have a prequel scene with him and we see Downey as that iconic character again then the last time he's on screen isn't that beautiful moment here's where i'm with you uh i am with you in regards to uh if if black widow has to like spend a big chunk of its budget getting like wild lines from robert downey jr or a cameo appearance or something like that then i think probably if i were making those decisions i'd be like nah spend that money on black widow spend that money on things that this movie needs uh but like i don't know this is comic book universes. It makes sense for people to show up in each other's movies. The primary thing that makes that difficult in the real world is timing and actor schedules and money and all that stuff. And if you're telling me you worked all that stuff out so that Tony Stark can show up in Black Widow series, I expect that in like that makes it feel more like the comic book universe I love. It also feels like a ploy to me, like that put it in the trailers. Like it, to me, it feels like, oh, remember we got Downey Jr. Like I they just... better not sell this on the strength of like, oh, and also see Robert Downey Jr. Again. Because it's a flashback. Uh, that Th- would, there that are would things be, that bother. I would not be thrilled about that. So I vote. I vote. I love the beautiful arc Iron Man had. I think Iron Man and Captain America switching narratives is one of the strongest arcs in the history of cinema, and that is a very bold statement, but. Those characters switched from selfless to selfish in the most beautiful way. You got Captain America jumping on a bomb in his first appearance, and by the end, he's decided not to help people so he can take a vacation. You may be and overselling that a little bit, but I dig it. perfect. And then Iron Man goes from a literal warmonger to someone that sacrifices his life knowing he's going to die if he does a thing. If you negate that by having a freaking cameo in a prequel movie, it hurts me. It doesn't change anything about that. Changes arc. everything. It doesn't. <laughs> so I, but like, there's probably five of us that feel this way, and I will. I no, will... no, no. You're gonna have a lot of company on that. Like, and there's there's gonna be a very strong reaction if they, if they of that. Like, you are gonna be far from alone on that. I just think closure is so important, and I think one of the things that superhero movies can do that superhero comics don't is respect death. Like superhero comics, obviously you got to bring those characters back because you need to make stories for 60 years. But superhero movies don't have to do that thing where death doesn't count. I like that like the impact of his death is important and I feel like if we make death – like I was so glad Quicksilver never came back. I I like the actor and I like Quicksilver but if – Well, why are you blending the idea of watching filmed appearances in order with the idea of reversing the effects of death? Because I think – Because like you know, Uncle Ben stays dead in things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's important, Right. 
but we see him all the time in flashbacks and visions and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't change that he is dead and that it's important that he's dead. That's fair. That's fair. But narratively, a movie feels different to me than a comic. Like okay. if, if Uncle Ben had flashbacks in every movie, it would be like, it's like he's still with us. And that wouldn't work for me. Huh. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, That's I, actually I, really interesting. I like some chronology because movies are, are – there are people that you can interact with a human being so you can feel like them. Mm-hmm. In a movie, that, that connection is stronger than a comic where you input what your perspective of that person is. Hmm. Like you don't know what the voice of Uncle Ben sounds like. In a movie, you do. You don't know what their details are. You don't have the prior association of that actor. So you're saying that like the, the sense of getting to see someone again after you have watched their death story, whether or not that takes place in the past, is different from – encountering them in a story in a comic book or something like 100%. that. 100 me- percent. The medium definitely varies for me. Hmm. The connectivity of a human element is very different between like a panel versus a frame. All right. Well, we don't 100 percent know this is even happening because, again, it was a line in a Deadline article wrapping up the Saturn Awards that casually was like, Robert Downey Jr. will next be seen in Black Widow. And we were all like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> uh, excuse me? You can't just flippantly say that. What? Which it's... It seems very unlikely. Like, certainly, if they were going to make an official announcement of that, this is not how they would do it. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, so we have no idea. I also want Robert Downey Jr. to just have some time to be Robert Downey Jr. I oh, want... like it's going to take a lot of time to record one scene in no, Black Widow. No, 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 no. I mean, like, I want him to get other roles where he can finally get out of the shadow of Iron Man. Like, the actor, Robert Downey Jr. I think if he does another, like, he did his farewell tour, then they gave him a movie mortuary. I think that let the man be another character. I love, I love <laughs> when Downey Jr. gets to be, like, Sherlock Holmes. He's going to play Dr. Doolittle. If he's always Iron Man forever, just like let the man be. He's, I mean, he's had a run. I I don't think this would be the determining element in whether or not that is a lifelong problem. If they for get him for this Robert one, they might Jr. get him for another ten. He might be the voice of the next Jarvis. I mean, Who knows? They've already built into the comics that he is the AI voice for a new generation <laughs> Iron Man character. But you know. Uh, they probably won't go that route. It sounds expensive. <laughs> uh, he makes some money, that Downey. <laughs> we already talked uh, about the, the new Birds of Prey poster this week and the amazing character covers by Tula Lote for the upcoming reprint collections, uh, which I just love and think are fabulous because Tula Lote is great. Uh, we also, this week, I just thought this was exciting. Uh, super Dinosaur is an image comic that we love at the shop. <laughs> uh, it's about a super dinosaur. You would love it. Uh, you, anyone listening to this, that was a universal you. Um, it is delightful and fun. Uh, Robert Kirkman writes it, and uh, it ran like back in 2011 or something like that. Um, we still keep the issues around as much as we can because kids love them. And kids will probably also love the animated series, which That's already right. came out in Canada but is hitting Amazon Prime in, I think, early October. I meant to write that part down. But we just found out uh, it is coming to Amazon Prime. Skybound is making a Super Dinosaur animated series. Uh, and that's cool as heck. That's real cool. Uh, <laughs> I love that Amazon Prime is – they make so many bold choices because they just have the money. Like Amazon Prime <laughs> is like, would you like anything? We've got it. You want it in the next two hours? Sure. We'll fly a blimp over. And they just like – then they make content. I like It's so weird. It's like it's like if UPS had, had, a, had a network. Like I just – the concept of Amazon being a network of original content is amazing. Uh, and, and yeah, they can make shows like Super Dinosaur. <laughs> So uh, I'm curious, actually, Corey. Uh, I meant to check in with you. Uh, there are a couple of Joker stories that broke this week that I was saving for once I've had a chance to see the movie. Oh, interesting. Um, so anything you particularly want to comment on or get out there from these uh, insights that we gained this week from some um, interviews? So I really enjoyed the fact that it, it doesn't spoil anything. It's just a weird thing. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix never officially accepted the part. 
So he talked to Todd Phillips and then one day they're like playing with laughs. And then one day they're talking about what a story might be. Todd Phillips wasn't sure the movie was going to happen until the costume designer called and said, hey, I got Joaquin here. I guess we're making a movie. And then it seems like everyone just showed up and they made a movie. Like the interview is fascinating. That's not how movies work. But the power of Joaquin Phoenix is just like – one day we're giggling and the next day we're on a set and here we go. And it also shows the budget. It also shows how much Warner Brothers trusted these two madmen. Um, what? That's insane. I've never heard of that in a in a, a real budgeted movie. Like, I mean – I've heard of that with like friends in college. someone did a bunch of great invisible behind the scenes work to get that together. A hundred producers. Casually... Uh, make producers a movie. Hundred were like, let's get permits just in case. Mm-hmm. Like, what? You hire extras and hope someone shows up the first day? It's <laughs> like, what do you do? I just, I was really impressed because I've never heard of that on the scale. Um, and then also, they talked about the setting, basically acknowledging the fact they set it in the seventies, uh, intentionally late seventies, early eighties, so people wouldn't be distracted by like that car wasn't around in eighty one. So they they intentionally made it vague so they could distinguish it from the rest of the DC universe, which is what we've always theorized. Mm. And then aside of, oh look, we also love Kings of Comedy. Oh, look, we also want this Scorsese flavor. So That seems more plausible to me, but like... But he opened with, like, mm-hmm. we wanted to separate from D.C. and we also wanted the cars not to be a bother. Like, things <laughs> like... like the, the the analytics of that also tie into the crazy, like, Joaquin showed up one day, put yeah, some makeup yeah, on yeah, him, yeah. guess we're making a movie. <laughs> so, uh, just the interviews are uh, on, on Slash Film and as well as... Uh, the, there's some separate Collider interviews, but these, these were Slash Film articles and I just... I was fascinated because that process is... Uh, I can't imagine the stress. Poor everyone. I... That honestly sounds sort of like if you know how complicated the movie making apparatus is, that sounds very difficult. <laughs> but uh, fantastic! I honestly, we're all dying to see this. I can't wait to see what they've made, and then I will be diving into all the behind the scenes material to give it context. Uh, but yeah. This next one I thought was pretty interesting. It's becoming more common uh, the last 10 years, I think, than ever before. But a a big, big comic that is not out yet has been already <laughs> optioned by a film company. A uh, big congrats to Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, uh, co-authors with uh, Kamen Coley, Giuseppe Kamen Coley, their uh, artist of Undiscovered Country. Which is coming soon to screens near you, I guess, and also comic shops. <laughs> I love that comics are so powerful that it's like, yeah, it's a comic book. Buy it. Like, we're getting there. Like that's that's what's happening more and more often. It's weird because I'm now starting to see that process not pay off, which is weird. Like the same thing happened, I think, with Jeff Lemire's Descender. And I don't know oh. where that is in the option process. That yeah. was, it's been years now. Like hopefully – what I love about this is that I I want – Big cool paydays for all of the creators we love. I will frankly admit to that. I know comics are not big money, and I want them all to stay making comics. So if you could just hand them giant checks periodically, Hollywood, that would be great with me. But also, if this turns out to be amazing in the next like wonderful franchise, good on you, New Republic Films. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I do like the idea that comics don't pay as well as we'd like them to because of the, the market they're in. Pay Jeff Lemire a lot of money. <laughs> Keep making. Now you can make us sender because you are great. Yeah. Keep going on. I mean, I, I don't really know how big those checks are, and, it, you know, that's not why you – the idea of making comics merely to get them option doesn't make sense. But, you know, Scott Snyder and Charles Soule are not guys who just rolled into comics to get a paycheck. Um, they make I think they comics. like comics. <laughs> uh, and so Undiscovered Country is set in a near future where America has been walled off for a couple of decades and a small expedition party needs to go in uh, and sort of – I guess we're going to find out what's become of everything. There's a plague involved. Uh, 
that's the reason it's called Undiscovered Countries is like America's this big blank spot on the map. Uh, they've been teasing and releasing things about this series uh, this whole summer. So I am very excited for it. And I guess they, they, it is enough that someone else is rolling the dice on it. So maybe coming soon. It'll probably be on our pull list when that rolls around in a couple of months. <laughs> uh, when the comic's out that the movie's going to be based <laughs> off of, we'll talk about it. We will. Um, and honestly, I mean, it's got an amazing creative team attached. And they are all actually attached to the movie that they would be making. Apparently, Snyder and Soul would actually be writing it. That's Tom and is attached as an EP, which does not always happen. Uh, and so, yeah. I hope this is the new model and I hope it works out fabulously. Yeah, that's rad. I, I'm All of those details make me more and more – we're in a good spot. <laughs> now, picking up, it's been interesting just – I end, I have ended up learning a lot just from talking about the adaptation process on and off on this show for a few years now uh, because I get to accidentally start tracking the kinds of things I wouldn't have before. Uh, so Valiant Comics has been – we've been waiting to hear on a lot of what's going to happen with their adaptation since their big relaunch basically in 2012 mm-hmm. um, where they pretty quickly started making film deals and they've had a couple of corporate changes since then. Uh, and one of – like the the most recent piece of news is that – Paramount has picked up Harbinger, uh, which would be an adaptation of the series from uh, Valiant, but which was supposed to be set up at Sony as part of a connected Valiant universe with, like, the Bloodshot movie they're theoretically making and all this other stuff. So we don't know what this means. It's ostensibly good news for that movie, which has just gotten, like, picked up by a studio that wants to work on redevelop and make it. Uh, But what do you think it means? (laughs) That's not how you spell Sony. Uh, I mean, I... (sighs) I think it's more important to make good movies than shared universe movies. Sure. Uh, I would love a shared universe from another studio. I, I always would love the moment of interconnectivity that sells because it's great for these characters to get to play together. But if it means we get the movie uh, sooner or or guaranteed because you know a major studio picking it up is, is more likely than it being an addendum to a major movie, mm-hmm. um, I think it's more likely to happen this way. Uh, it's a bummer for Sony. Uh, it's a bummer for the, the, the Valiant world. But – I think it's a great sign that we're making movies out of these kind of movies, uh, making movies out of these kind of comics. And for all we know, they could be planning on picking up the rest of them and just starting there. Uh, this Harbinger is the one I'm going to be most closely tracking because that's the team that Faith is on, which my friend <laughs> Jody Hauser got to write a lot of, uh, which is delightful. Uh, but, you know, who knows? We will we will stay tuned. And when there is real news that I keep talking about that we need to invent the different – uh, shades of green, green light chart. This um, one feels like a, like a deeper green. <laughs> it's not bright. It's not like fully moving. It feels like an emerald. Yeah. Not quite a forest. A little above forest, a little below, uh, not neon for but sure. But it makes me think that the rest of the Valiant stuff is probably a little dimmer shade of green than we thought it was. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Uh, but I, I, we're sounding weird and Hollywoody. This is just – it's fun to track this stuff. It's the most in pictures, kid. That's how it works. <laughs> Darkest shades of green. So – in theory, coming soon to a streaming screen near us uh, is the Jupiter's Legacy series, which will be the first product of uh, Mark Miller's Millerverse Netflix deal where Netflix bought his independent company outright uh, and he works with them to create new comics and develop them into shows uh, as we've talked about on this show many times. Uh, we had been really looking forward to the Jupiter's Legacy show and still are, but we have learned this week that Stephen DeKnight is leaving that show apparently over creative differences with Netflix. They are mid-production, and he has said he wishes them all well and is excited to see what comes of that production. Uh, What do you think? 
I'm so bummed for Steven tonight. Uh, like between you know Daredevil and and so many properties that I feel like I feel like his name is often mentioned and like and it didn't work out. And I really like his work. And the fact that he had to bid on his own Daredevil costume will bother me for the rest of time. Uh, when they did the prop shop, he was bidding with everyone else, and I was like, you should have given the man his Daredevil suit. Uh, so, I guess it's fair that everyone has a shot at things, but, but you'd think he would know a guy. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, he should be the guy he knows. <laughs> when <laughs> you're a showrunner. A counterexample here is that he was not the original showrunner on Daredevil. Um, several wonderful people worked on Daredevil at different times. So it's possible that the person who's coming in to pick up Jupiter's legacy is going to become as associated with that show. Wasn't Drew Goddard the first showrunner on Daredevil? I think I was actually – I was just thinking. Like, I think it was Drew Goddard and then Stephen Knight and then Eric Olson? Sounds correct I think me, that was the way it went down. But, but The point being maybe the person who's coming on to Jupiter's legacy right now is going to uh, become as closely associated with it for us and do as great work with it as he did on Daredevil. True. Uh, and, I, and I love Mark Miller and I just – that's why I, I'm invested because I love the team. Yeah. But I just feel bad for Steven tonight, whatever's happening. Like, gah. I just – I track his stuff because of Buffy because he's great. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think we should be worried for him. I think I mean, he's, he's gotten to do a lot of cool stuff and he'll get to do a lot of cool stuff. He's constantly attached to comic properties I love. So clearly I enjoy his taste but also clearly he's very well off making these things because he's <laughs> in the right rooms at the right times. Uh, I just – I. I clearly like the man's taste. So keep doing cool stuff, Steve, tonight. Let's have a positive announcement. So uh, positive cool stuff that could have happened uh, brings us to our next item on the list, which was a really cool thing we all got to see this weekend. Remember when Kevin Feige was like, we've got cool stuff in the vault we'll probably never show you. Well, he cracked the door open a little bit. Coy, what would you think of this alternate Nick Fury scene that we got to see? This alternate take from the 2008 Iron Man? It felt like reading a comic. It felt like reading an alternate universe comic. It actually gave you that level of like, that could have been the universe we lived in. And it was a a line of dialogue. It was an alternate. Yeah, he referenced. uh, Radioactive spider bites (laughs) or radioactive bug bites. Mm -hmm. And technically spiders aren't bugs. So it was just factually incorrect. And mutants. He said the word mutant in 08 or in 07 before they released it in 08. Back in 2007, the word mutants was uttered and then it wouldn't be again for at least 12 years. Yeah, there was just no way that that was going to work. So I love that they filmed it. But they were like, right, let's just cover our bases. I don't know. What? What is? What? Well, Brian Michael Bendis apparently wrote all of the post credit scene stuff. So all those lines were written by Bendis. <laughs> so I love the idea that Bendis was like, hey, that'd be cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Bendis, Bendis wrote the post credit <laughs> scene. He was also writing Ultimate Spider. So Bendis was writing the Ultimate Universe that effectively it was based off of, then wrote the post credit scene, <laughs> if the rumors are true. Uh, so, yeah, I love the idea that Bendis like, can I get Samuel Jackson to say this? <laughs> and just like, I'm just picturing Ben is like typing in the corner like, uh, and now we got to see it. And that's so rad. And it it feels right. It's also tricky timing with the, the, the Sony Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man stuff that everyone is, is having withdrawals from. But I think uh, it was really beautiful to see an alternate universe where that could have happened earlier. So we got to see that clip at the Saturn Awards, which were live-streamed this weekend, uh, which give away interesting awards to a lot of science fiction and genre stuff. Um, they, they're brief. This and, and now brings us to the awards section of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> also, congrats to our friends uh, Tiffany Smith and Stephen Glickman for hosting the yes! Saturn Awards. That is so cool. I was so proud of them, and they did a great <laughs> job. I just had to give them some love. A bunch of our favorite stuff was all over the Saturn Awards. Endgame did very, very well. Uh, Daredevil won Best streaming superhero show supergirl won best regular tv superhero show uh you should go through and read all of those results because the saturn awards had uh, tons of great work getting spotlighted 
Uh, and yeah, any other takeaways from the Saturns? I love how uh, they're making it bigger and bigger. Like it streamed, it was live, it was a whole thing, and it's for our stuff. Yeah. It's really cool to have an award ceremony about this. Like everything on Giant Size Heroes is, is repped at Saturn Awards. So it's really cool that they, they are getting bigger and bigger. Um, and I don't know if their Tony Stark leak was real, but it's really funny that it happened there. <laughs> Like, how fitting. Like, like we've, we're celebrating the best in fandom and we have the biggest scoop of the year. I, accidentally in some random person's write-up of this. I also, and in this moment, realizing taking four, do- four days off made me think that Endgame came out last year. Like, I completely 100%. Like, when you just said it one word, I was like, why would they do Oh, no. That was only <laughs> months ago. So uh, <laughs> I I also, like, Daredevil's one of my favorite adaptations of all time. So it winning made me really happy. And mm-hmm. I really, I hope uh, I hope we get to see more Daredevil sooner than later. Uh, and with, with full disclosure that I work for DC Universe, shout out to Doom Patrol, which I also would have accepted as a best <laughs> streaming answer because it is the best. Uh, and if you haven't checked it out, please do. Uh, the other awards that happened this weekend were at Small Press Expo out east, a show I've never been to, a comic book show I've never been to, but that sounds amazing every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they give away the Ignatz Awards, uh, which, and this is the best part, the awards for the Ignatz Awards are uh, literally a brick. It's based on Crazy Cat, uh, the old classic comics, and just, like, it, it's uh, – you're sort of metaphorically throwing a brick through respectable society. With I love the, this. It's like a very punk rock vibe. Um, and the best story uh, – well, one of the best quotes to come out of it was that the uh, artist of one of the major award-winning books was traveling home from the awards and her luggage was really heavy and apparently someone at the airport was like, what do you have in here, bricks? Just one. <laughs> she had three. Oh, bricks. <laughs> because uh, you should go through and read a list of the winners from the Ignatzes. Uh, they've been written up at a couple of websites. Uh, but a major winner this year, which prompted me to finally sit down and read it, which was the best several hours of my life because, oh, my God, Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Same the comic. A graphic novel <laughs> that came out this year uh, from Rosemary Valero O'Connell and Mariko Tamaki. Uh, oh, I love Marco Tamaki. Oh, my God. Coy, this book is amazing. Yeah? The use of color in it should win its own separate award. It's one of these – it's it's primarily just in, like, two colors as if it's black and white, but there are pink highlights and they're in different places on each page. I've seen that in other – it also might have been Tamaki. It sounds very familiar. And they've been doing similar effects in a lot of the DCYA books. Uh, they and, did it really well in the um, – that first one. What was the first book? Uh, the Mara? Tidebreaker? No. The uh the, the the start the 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 shared team book the one before Beast Boy, Raven 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 yes. Raven did it excellently yeah yeah it was yeah beautiful limited color. color palette yeah um so that's uh you you should the book is amazing and heartbreaking and like man high school love is rough oh uh, uh, <laughs> your poll from last week is, was so good um or maybe it was two weeks ago uh what's killing the children. Ooh, something is killing the something children. Something is killing the children is incredible. I'm loving that book. It's only one <laughs> issue, but I I was fully in. I'm very excited for issue two. I always, really love that book. Always look for James Tynan's name. It's always a good time. Uh, so yeah, those are some great things to check out uh, and things to look forward to in the near future. We got a real trailer for Watchmen. <laughs> Uh, and a featurette that helped to explain what was happening in the trailer for Watchmen. It had what story in it. <laughs> it was the first time I was like, oh, there's a show behind You're all like, the imagery. Oh, right. They wrote words that Things will happen. cohesively Events tie. occur. Uh, we're, we're very excited. Um, but we've obviously been dying for, for substantial uh, looks at what's going on in Watchmen. What do you think? 
I will say I keep thinking. So the bar keeps moving. So I will have said this before. I will own that. But I'm about to make a statement that is now true to 2019, September 20th, whatever day it is. Uh, it was an example of this is a show and they're just wearing masks, but to a level that was full HBO. There was I don't – what? Like it, it didn't feel like a – super. Uh, we, people often say like it doesn't feel like a superhero property. This legit felt like a drama to me and then the cops had the yellow masks on and there were like masks and stuff and they were referencing the masks in a way that made it feel like the real world. Like it felt so grounded and just normal and like a normalized reality where superheroes just do exist. Hmm. Not – like The Boys is the opposite. The Boys is like a hyper-realized real world where superheroes exist where it's supposed to be like at an 11. Mm-hmm. This to me just felt like – a really bad neighborhood in, in New York mm. and the cops wear masks and vigilantes exist. It didn't feel hyper real. It felt real. So I we've that bar keeps moving where where like I, I used to use crossbones as like, holy crap, they made crossbones look like that's almost plausible. I see what you this mean. looks legit just like a time like an HBO show that had an element of masks to it that mattered, comma, is Watchmen. Does that make sense? Okay. So I was really impressed at the tone of the show because it looks like an HBO drama that happens to be Watchmen because it's not Watchmen. It's an HBO drama that lives in the universe of Watchmen and now I'm buying into that universe. Like I'm, okay. I'm fully invested now. I am very, very fascinated by everything we're getting from this show and I don't know what it's going to be. I know that I am going to follow Regina King and love whatever's going on there. Um, it is – I have so many questions about the world they're making, which I'm supposed to at this point. One of the things that really stuck out for me is that like this detail that cops are going around masked is a huge enough deal that it would merit an entire show of its own. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that it's like a background detail to the story that's going to play out here is sort of blowing my mind because it's like, OK, uh, hopefully you have space to fully deal with what that would be and space to explore the idea of superheroics and space to establish this new follow up vision of a Watchmen world. Um, but I, I probably should have faith that they will have the space for all those things. And the imagery that they're throwing at us where I think they're going to save a lot of the more clearly visually comic booky stuff for later episodes mm-hmm. and let it open up in the way – I mean in that like stealthing it into people's lives the way they did with Game of Thrones. Uh, where they're like, there'll be some dragons eventually, but by that time, you're hooked. Yeah. Where a lot of us were like, it's fine, just have dragons. Well, the, um, like you were saying with the Watchmen, the masks on the cops, it's contrary to every comic book ever. Or not ever, not every, but like the, 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 the themes of comic books. Why are you wearing a mask? Vigilantes wear masks. And if you were just an officer of the law, you'd reveal who you are. Like the, the J. Jenner Jameson perspective on like what right. that. So I love that we're, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a, a especially a live action property deal with the inverse of that. It Everyone is, is anonymous. It's a fascinating so. choice. Uh, and it's interesting because they want to make a lot of statements about what masks mean. But what I don't know yet is what they mean in this world. In the opening and how monologue that does about masks. Or doesn't connect to anonymity in our world. World, which we've seen has both very positive and very negative uh, effects. Mm-hmm. And the, the opening monologue about masks, that was the whole the whole pitch of the opening of the, this first story trailer was about if you wear a mask, it's, you're hiding something and right. you're hiding like this weakness. And it's a superhero show. So cops wearing masks. Uh, it's, it's, and it's the opposite of like, you know, the, the real the real life mirror uh, of, you know, body cam, like the real life mirror of the, the accountability of an officer of the law. Right. This is taking away even your known identity. So I'm fascinated to see what sort of commentary it is on 
you know, all of that. very curious to see what we're getting, but I did love that they are sneaking in other imagery that we recognize from Watchmen, like the pirate flag and mm-hmm. the Dr. Manhattan pinata or whatever that was, uh, effigy. Uh, so, again, our dials are set for this show. I, I have a lot of questions about what they're choosing to focus on and what story they're telling, but I'm on board, so... Uh, I guess I can make no complaints. <laughs> Five years ago, I would have said, do not touch Watchmen ever, and don't you dare make a DC Combine spinoff, and I love Doomsday Clock, every single issue. <laughs> so if you're going to convince me again with an amazing HBO show, I'm back again. I was, okay, right now I don't feel like this is Watchmen, but that probably is going to end up being a selling point because I'll just invest in whatever it is that this is. <laughs> I think um, it's going to become a Watchmen show like episode five. I think it's going to do the Game of Thrones thing you're describing, but it's going to get us there. I think I think we'll at some point have full, you know, naked blue dick swinging Miss Manhattan. Like I think it's going to be it's, – it's on HBO. You can. But I think we'll get to the point where it's going to feel a lot more like the movie than people are expecting. I, I will be very excited. And they should be grounding it in the specific story they're telling and the specific characters who are here. It just really I, – I have found myself surprised by the like, oh, OK. That's – OK. So – Police anonymity is the center of this. Okay, let's do it. Uh, they kept that promise for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've hinted in this direction with some of the other material. But, yeah, it was nice to have, like, a substantial look at this and Regina King rules. So uh, so it's going to be great. We got some more general uh, movie and entertainment news. Movie Pass is officially done. <laughs> Uh, Apple TV details are starting to spill out. TV Plus, what are they calling it? I just I, Movie Pass. I loved you dearly when you worked. I just want to give you the proper <laughs> the proper death of like we're over now. But you did change things, and without Movie Pass, we wouldn't have AMC A List. We wouldn't have a lot of these other uh, subscription based service. I think anything that is a disruptor in a positive way should get its accolades. Uh, punk rock music exists because of us rebelling against sounds, and they gave us a lot of good mainstream There's- stuff. The opposite uh, pass of is punk, real punk rock, rock is no. A, a, a way to make money by cutting through things is the opposite of smashing established. I don't know. It's okay, anarchic it's to be like rock. we're going to do our own thing, and who cares about your system? And then for two years, that system worked by just like stealing from Peter to pay Paul. And then they were like, "Oh no, we're out of money because we've been stealing a long time." I think it was bold, and it wouldn't. It, it, is the point of your scheme is money making? It's not punk rock. I'm just saying. Ooh, actually, that's a fair point. I. Touche. Okay. <laughs> I accept your terms. I think the way they went about it was punk rock. I think the goal wasn't. <laughs> so uh, it's like the Sex Pistols. It was punk rock and then it sold out. I guess. Sorry, Sex Pistols fans. I mean, and, and I say that, but people keep reminding me that there were like classic punk bands formed to sell t-shirts. Uh, it's Also, fine. yeah. No, Sex uh-huh. Pistols never sold out. I, I, I retake all of my specifics, but I, I do think that without MoviePass, we would be in a very different movie system. And I think that it's really important that subscription-based services really do work in it gets people in seats. And that was one of the first ones that went mainstream. So Also, my hilarious friend Lucia Fasano wrote a, a whole song that is a mournful ode to movie pass. <laughs> I uh, respect so you this. should check that out. Um, so we also got some Apple TV info. This Apple TV Plus, Apple Plus, Apple Plus? what's it called? What is it called? They have a credit card. I don't know. Apple's doing a lot of weird stuff. Uh, we got a lot of info at the, <laughs> the, at the keynote. Uh, and the only sort of superhero relevant bit is a separate article that broke in the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, we had talked before about El Gato Negro getting picked up to be developed into a show, and now we have some idea where that might land because apparently it might be landing at Apple Plus, which I thought was kind of a cool like start out your superhero programming with that random indie like it's. What I love about this insane proliferating streaming landscape is it giving a home to stuff uh, that might otherwise have struggled to get like a slot on CBS or whatever back in the day um, where that was your only choice. So I thought that was really cool. 
Uh, Robert Rodriguez is producing. Diego Manera is uh, behind it, and uh, they're they're teaming up for El Gato Negro. I'm in. I'm yeah. excited. I uh, I don't know what Apple TV is going to feel like. It was cheaper than I expected. Um, I am curious what the world is with this many streaming services. It's too many. Uh, it's definitely too many. I'm just wondering which ones are going to be good. Uh, so we'll see who who throws the most. I don't think throwing. See, this is where I'll, I'll be the opposite about money. I don't think just throwing money at something's going to make it good. But I am curious which ones went out after all of the dust right. slash cash is settled. Yeah, and it it you know it is it is. We gained so much when premium cable opened the door to a lot of great quality programming. But we, as many, many people have already pointed out, have very much lost this ability for there to be a show that everyone can talk about and access. And I'm very curious where it's going to go. It opens the door for a lot of stuff we want, but it is going to be weird when it's like – there are literally 15 different streaming channels and none of us can watch the same shows unless we're doing something illegal or independently wealthy. Yeah. It's it's not exactly the system that I like, but uh, it will change. And in five years, it'll look completely unrecognizable from now because that's the way <laughs> the technology is moving. We will see. Uh, anyway, so this brings us – technology moving brings us to technology not moving, which is us reading comics. Yeah. Uh, although I guess I read a lot digitally these days. So technology moves a little. Uh, we got our pull list that we went over on the show. We got Spider-Man number one, Once in Future number two, Absolute Carnage number three, Steeple number one, Excellence number five, and my special shout out to Raina Telgemeier, Queen of Comics. Uh, and if we had a ten issue pull list, Batman seventy nine would have been on there. By the way, just saying, there was a lot of good stuff. This there week. was a. It was a really tough week. Like Clay Man and Tom King not making my top five means whoa, this week is crazy. Yeah. It's uh, if you're catch up on Batman uh, if you like to have your heart broken. <laughs> yeah, it's not a happy time right now, but it's a good time right now. Um, and I included my my special shout out to Randy Telgemeier this week is because I am fascinated by watching changes in the comics industry at large. And one of those reasons that, uh, as we always used to talk about with John, like we we all instinctively worry about the future of comics as comics fans. But I was always of the opinion that comics are very safe because we will always want to tell stories with words and pictures. And one of the great examples in these last 10 years has been the absolute unbelievable wild spectacular success of uh, graphic novels for younger readers mm-hmm. and specifically of Raina Telgemeier who is uh, releasing her third autobiographical graphic novel this week. It is called Guts. Her first two were called Smile and Sisters. She has two non-autobiographical ones called uh, Drama and Ghosts. She has illustrated, uh, written and illustrated the Babysitter's Club adaptations uh, but she is best known for this uh, real life work. And uh, I think I, I looked up the figures for this. The last year that she had a new one, a new original, was 2016. It came out in September as well. It sold over 200,000 copies by Christmas, not counting comic book stores or book fairs. Whoa. Uh, merely by estimates from Comic-Con. Uh, and that year that her book came out, her books total that year alone sold 1.3 million copies. That's insane. So Those are some numbers. It really is – it's a fascinating piece of perspective for me because an entire generation is growing up on these, is mm-hmm. growing up on comics, on comic book storytelling. Uh, in this case, graphic novel storytelling, but it's comics. Uh, and that is going to have a really fascinating Im- impact. Like the the first kids to get hooked on Raina books are basically almost old enough to be doing their high school journals now. Like they're Whoa. all about to go to art school and come out and – 
redefine comics as we know it. So, you know, watch out for that. <laughs> um, and it just it, – it is this interesting thing where it's it's outside of – it's not superhero storytelling. So we don't – I don't tend to focus on that stuff that much on this show. But it is such a huge part of the comic book landscape. It's wonderful storytelling. They're honestly really good. I'd be mad if she was this successful and the books weren't good. The sure. books are great. Uh, she's very good at what she does. And uh, Guts is out this week, so ask a kid near you because they already know her name. And I don't, so I'm not even going to chime in with pretending to know. This is all <laughs> – I was just receiving news, receiving knowledge. I turned old this week. I feel like week. I'm a, a broken record because I feel like I talk about this constantly. But this like – I know it, of it through you, but I, yeah. I, like, I wouldn't know hands-on. Like I couldn't speak on the books. I, can, I would be like parroting what you've told me, which they'd catch on. <laughs> and it is funny because like – Kids who are like, I don't know, uh, comics, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, Raina. And they're like, oh, yeah, obviously. There's a million copies of that in the school library. Like, they know. That's amazing. Uh, and uh, they get, we get a new one this week. Uh, so, yeah. A, a shout out to the future of comics. Thank you for hooking kids on comics. We appreciate it. Also this week, uh, did you read the Tom Taylor Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 12 last week? 11? The, the, no, the Mary Jane issue? No, I hear it's great. Oh, the Mary Jane issue is incredible. But it left me wondering if that book kind of works as both anthology and in arcs. Like there's huh. an arc and then there's a one-off and then there's an arc. And so he's a new Friendly Neighborhood drops this week and I'm really curious – if it's going to keep with those like one-off issues or like where the books – I love that the book keeps me guessing and apparently Spider-Man dies in this issue and they've been like teasing it but in like a way that no one expects. Like I, I'm fascinated. Once What's again, happening? I wish there was a 10 issue pull list. Spider-Man dies and like Tom Taylor has been very like, yep, Spider-Man dies. You'll see. So uh, okay. just casually, flippantly, just Tom Taylor making choices. <laughs> so I'm like – there was too many books this week but I definitely want to give a shout out to that book because what? How? When? Yeah, this was another week with a million runner-up books. But... Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen's out this week. I which know. How do we not like uh, – Superman 15, which is diving into an event, Leviathan. Uh, like guys, I mean – the, uh, Valkyrie, Jane Foster, number three. Yeah. Savage Sword of Conan, number nine. That book is insane. Uh, Magnificent Miss Marvel. Uh, Lex Luthor, You're the Villain. Like, these are just some There's of the books I'm reading. a million great books. Uh, but yeah, a, oh, a, a more detailed shout out to Karen Gillan and Dan Mora and Once in Future, number two. It's from Boom. They are doing their take on the King Arthur mythos, and I have no idea why the sales are crazy through the roof, but I'm very happy for them because they deserve it. And as always, there's a House of X this week, which is assumed on the pull list. Remember, yep. there's a caveat every week that Invisible has House X of X on yeah. the pull list. <laughs> the third book, Invisible X, is the one we're always pulling, count it. <laughs> All right. And I believe we have actual time for questions this week. Let's get it. Start us off, Corey. This first question is going to be from Otniel Dial at Lord Oath. He said, can you give some suggestions of easy, safe comics to start reading with my six-year-old? One, great question. I commend you, having never yeah. met you, for being an excellent human being. You're making all the right choices. Good Two, anything from the young adult line in D.C. is going to be exactly what you're looking for. It's a little older. It's probably for like nine-year-olds. But I I would read them to the six-year-old and get them started and then it will be treasured. Uh, like I started reading <laughs> – I started reading Torment. My first – I learned to read reading Todd McFarlane's Torment, uh, which, you know – The Spider-Man storyline. It might explain coy crimes. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I definitely learned what eviscerating meant way too young. But I think that reading with comics definitely helps them understand visuals better and cinematic storytelling and helps me love movies more. So I first, think the – Yeah. For six, you're going to want to pick and choose. Uh, some of the some of the DC Zoom and Ink books are more aimed at like middle grade readers. Some of them are going to be great for like Dear Justice 
Justice League, I would say you're going to be great. It's it's kids writing letters to the Justice League, and it's short stories, and they're wonderful. I think Raven's close. Like Raven's probably like seven or eight. Like I think Raven would be a good. Like it's it's the kids are twelve, thirteen in it, but I think a, a young person could appreciate it as like a big sister element. Maybe I don't like, know kids well. Um, I have Six none. might be a little young for Raven. Your mileage may vary. Flip through it. Uh, I would say probably middle grades for Raven, but like. Honestly, kids read a lot of stuff. So just check it out and see if you'd be into it. Uh, obviously, Teen Titans, Teen Titans yeah. Go, and Tiny Titans especially. What about um, the Marvel Adventures like Spider-Man and stuff? Like the ones that are they're kind of the animated style of the cartoons, but they're really, really young skewing. Those... They're really fun. There's also brand new ones going out right now uh, that they're calling Marvel Action, mm. which are being published by IDW. Sam Maggs just wrote a Captain Marvel one. Cool. Uh, there is a Spider-Man one that features Miles, Gwen, and Peter, which has been saving my life this year because it's wonderful and I get to hand it to uh, have something – actually available with those characters in it to hand to the many, many kids who came in after Spider-Verse and wanted more. That's a great example. Um, so Marvel Action is the name of that line. It's being currently published. Uh, and then the other thing is that a lot of classic comics, 80s and older, they had to adhere to the code. Depending on your six-year-old, it can be really fun to look at old comics with them because their brains are plastic uh, and they can absorb a lot that might surprise you. Um, it's going to be uh, hit or miss. Like It'll depend on your child because some kids get really into the old stuff and mm-hmm. some kids kind of can't process it and need to sort of read the newer stuff and get used to it first and then maybe discover the older stuff. But try it. I think by six I'd already read most of the Ditko stuff with Spidey and I think <laughs> I think I was like fairly deep into the John Romita senior by six but I literally I learned to walk really young I then got a car and then forgot how to walk so the doctor had to remove my little car like you know those cars You're you like walk cute on cute little yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I forgot how to walk because I then had a, a, a crutch to like to not utilize my legs. So I was like forgetting walking. Uh, but in that time, I was reading so much I would like lay down and read. But I couldn't. I didn't know words. I didn't comprehend it. But uh-huh. I like I liked the task of holding books because I saw everyone around me holding books. So like there was a weird phase where I once I figured out what those symbols meant and was reading. All I did was read. Aww. So by the time I turned six, I was an absolute madman. Uh, but I I definitely had some weird like zero to two where I was like books are everything. And I I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I will also uh, give a big shout out. I think six is probably just getting to the right age. Uh, I'm not I'm super like, again, mileage may vary. It might work a little better if you're a little older. But the DC superhero girls books are fantastic. It's all of them in high school having adventures. They're starting to do ones with the new designs from the most recent animated series. But there's already like nine of them out and they're great. And we cannot keep them in stock at the store. And of course, <laughs> Saga. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just so you know, Koi is joking. <laughs> you will figure that out quickly. There will be a page or two very quickly that will turn that corner. Uh, we also have – unless you got a Burning Man, in which case that book is perfect for a six-year-old. Little, little burner babies that need to read Saga. Uh, next up, we have Jocelyn at Bad Wolf Bay 10 nice asking – uh, Yeah, very nice name. Do you think the Disney Plus NCU shows will feature post-credit scenes or something similar? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I do. I think that's their bread and butter. Uh, I don't know if it'll be something that ties into the next episode or if it'll be – actually, since they're going out weekly, yes, it'll be something that teases the next episode, I think. It's weird. Or like a side like, mission. You don't know if they're going to do it every time on every show, but they kind of either have to or not. But I would imagine certainly it would make sense like on WandaVision, which is based on a sitcom, some of which have developed like funny stingers on mm-hmm. sitcoms are an established thing. Uh, if – if nothing else, they will, I feel like, certainly have them at the end of seasons. 
Yeah. Or if they're doing like breaks between arcs. But they could end up having them every time uh, over on DC Universe, which again I get to do because I spend a lot of time over there. Uh, Young Justice, the animated series, has been having end of credits gags for their new season all year, um, which have been like mostly quiet things with occasional story content, which is a great way to go. Um, do you think they'll do them every episode or just a big – I think big. I think yeah. every episode might be a bit cloying. Yeah. Uh, that said, not for the MCU, so completely ignoring this question, which I apologize for. I hope we've answered it. I want the Jackie Chan bloopers to come back. I want more movies to have bloopers in their credits. Remember that? Remember that the was, 90s? I mean not everyone is as great and funny as Jackie Chan well, and that, willing to look dumb. But like the, the Judd Apatow, like I want comedians and like comedy movies. Like I wouldn't put it at the end of like you know Blade Runner. <laughs> but like I think that, that that element of credits, I think that not just Marvel and DC should have people waiting for their credits like I think it'd be cool yeah. if you had something in there for them uh, that uh, did you watch the Jurassic World um, eight minute short the short film that just came out I haven't seen it yet it's life changing oh good it's my favorite piece of Jurassic thing since the Lost World I liked wow. it better than JP3 or the last two Jurassic Worlds it's wow. incredible uh, but the credit scenes have little vignettes in in between credits that mm-hmm. tell other stories Aww. so it's just like taking place in the world and that's what's cool about this comic book culture we're living in people understand that these little vignettes kind of tie in but don't have to yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that we can – I think more films should use the, the Marvel and DC model. More of that. Mr. Right. X616 at McFlabJab. <laughs> I just want to give credit to both <laughs> of your names. I like that Mr. X of the standard universe as well as McFlabJab asks, since the Disney Plus Star Wars shows are most likely adapted from scrapped movies, Mandalorian from Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, could we – I love this question. Could we <laughs> possibly see scrapped Fox scripts such as Gambit, Kitty Pride, and Doctor Doom end up as Disney Plus shows? Great. Great question. I don't think so. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, I like the way you think. I do think like a lot of that Star Wars material, I'm sure some of it was the development around. Some of it is just that they're sort of obvious ideas with potential, which is both why they were potentially movies and why they ended up on the service. I am desperately excited for those Star Wars shows. But uh, I, I don't think in this case, because the scrapped Fox scripts relate to properties that have not been properly MCU introduced – I don't think we are likely to see uh, that material get used. Now, it doesn't mean, as far as I'm concerned, that they might not circle around to some of the same uh, creators that they were involved with. I would not rule out that, like, well into the introduction of the Fantastic Four into the MCU, they might circle back around and reach out to Noah Hawley or see if he has another— Which would be amazing. Like, because he's clearly interested in comic book material and very talented, and if the stars line up for a new project with him of some kind, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But I don't think that it necessarily will be like, well, we got most of the way there on a Kitty Pride movie. I mean, if they hire Bendis to work on their next X-Men stuff, I'm going to be happy. But I won't expect it to be related to that Fox work because it's just so different. I, and I – you know, some of the Fox one-off movies might work as these things. They might go, hey, we'd like to rehash that idea like you're describing and bring back the same creators like the uh, the Multiple Man movie that everyone forgot about with James, James Franco <laughs> and like those things that yeah. were supposed to be separate. Maybe if they build separate universe things and please – don't just throw a team at us. Let us love these characters. So I'd love if we had those elements as Disney Plus shows, whether or not they're any sort of rehashing from already existing properties. I don't know. And I doubt it. Uh, there's probably a lot of legal there. Uh, our sweaty question of the week. I like week. the way you think, though. Dude, yeah. Uh, excellent name and name and idea. Um, sweaty Q is going to be from David at it is David, but he spells the David with an X in the middle. This guy's awesome on Twitter. Um, do you think – the rumors that Tom Holland had a cameo cut from Venom. 
It looks like the late, great John Schnepp may have been correct about Tom filming a cameo. Okay, I actually have no idea what the answer to this is. What's the deal here? So, do you remember John was always talking about... Yeah. Yeah, so rumor has it that that was real... And that Tom Holland was did film a, a Venom scene, and that they cut it because of the Sony Fox madness, or the, the Sony Marvel stuff. But now rumors are out again. Like the same rumors are out back saying there is a scene with Tom Holland in Venom. Huh. So I cannot verify. I have no idea what the basis for this in is. It would be cool. It, it made it made the sweaty cue for me because not only do you have to have been a fan of the show for many many years, <laughs> uh, but also that yeah, I mean legal these things do happen. And now Tom we would, know there was an alternate universe where Nick Fury said spider bites. So who knows? Honestly, very very plausible <laughs> at this point. Uh, but I love the idea that John might have known something a year and a half before the rest of us, two years before the rest of us. Mm. Uh, and yes, and I would love if that scene gets to come to fruition and we get to see it. And it looks like, you know, depending on how things go, Venom 2 might have one of those scenes in it. Uh, But John was always ahead of the curve. Uh, I would have loved to have him yelling about She-Hulk and Miss Marvel alongside us. But uh, it seems he may have called it many, many moons ago. Uh, But I think that's it for everything this week. Yeah. And until next week, stay stay sweaty. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done switch to a better plan and michael i met with a local licensed insurance agent face to face and done go to myhealthpolicy.com to compare top rated medicare advantage plans in your area including zero dollar premium plans or call 1-800-GO-START that's 1-800-GO-START meredith Vieira is a paid endorser kf agency operates myhealthpolicy.com not connected with or endorsed by the u.s government or the federal medicare program a licensed insurance agent may call